verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 2, says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. Here we find something that uh, if, you, if you study Scripture and you pay attention in Scripture, uh, more, time, more often than not, God not only gives uh, through the Scripture and through the Holy Spirit uh, being the one to inspire that Scripture, God not only gives a what, but he also gives the why. That something is going on. Here Hannah says, uh, it says that she prayed. Now, when, when we say, I've got to pray about this, I've got to pray, uh, or I'm going to go pray, what do our prayers normally consist of? And I'm as guilty of it as anybody else is. We're requesting things from God. We're petitioning God for things. This says that Anna prayed. She doesn't ask God for a single thing. In this, in this entire passage of scripture, in all ten verses of this, she doesn't ask God for anything, but it says that she prayed. And, she, and this prayer unto God was nothing more than praise unto God. It says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Why did her heart rejoice in the Lord? Uh, because I rejoice in thy salvation. It says, my, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Why is that? Because I rejoice in thy salvation. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Why? Because I rejoice Amen. in thy salvation. Amen. She does these things because she's rejoicing in the salvation of the Lord. And you may read this scripture. You may read verse 1 of 1 Samuel and say, well, God hadn't saved Hannah from anything. That's what, that's what we as New Testament Christians we see salvation as God saving us from our sins and saving us from his own wrath and saving us from hell. That's what we see salvation as. What did Hannah see it as? She saw it as deliverance. And that's exactly what salvation is. Salvation is deliverance. And that's what she was referring to. What was she delivered from? If you flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, you'll read that Elkanah, her, uh, her husband, uh, uh, had, a, had another woman named Penina, And she was giving Hannah a hard time because Hannah couldn't have children. Penina was having the, the children. Hannah was not. Back in these times, it was seen as a disgrace and sometimes as a curse from God if a woman didn't bear children. It was, and it was an embarrassment for a woman to do that. So what was she delivered from? She was delivered from that ridicule, from that derision that she was suffering uh, from the hands of this woman, Penina. She was, she was delivered from that. But it says that her, uh, her heart rejoices, her horn is exalted, and her mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Is what she's saying here. How is her mouth enlarged over her enemies? Not to curse her enemies. Not, not, to, not to, to, to berate them the same way that she had been berated. And not to belittle them the same way that had been done to her. It was that she could praise God over top of her enemies. She could tell her enemies how she had been delivered and who had delivered her. That's how her mouth was enlarged. She didn't look for vengeance. She knew that vengeance was the Lord. This was a godly woman that had, that had sought out God and sought his blessing and, and sought, uh, sought him out that she could bear a son. And that son had been born in Samuel. Now, if you go to the last few verses of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, 
You'll see that, that Hannah made good on her promise. She said, she said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. And as soon as the boy was weaned, she took him to Shiloh. She handed him over to Eli the priest. And, and that's where he was to spend his day. She dedicated him back to God. She gave him back to God just as she said that she would. You keep that in mind as we go through this. We'll touch on that towards the end. Verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. I believe Brother Byrne read a verse likewise to that one in the book of Isaiah this morning. There is none like the Lord. Right. And she, she's proclaiming that. But who's she proclaiming it to? It says that she prayed. She's telling God there is none like you. Amen. Now you remember, though, she is expressing this out loud. She's a and in, in, in chapter 1, verse 11, it says that she, she murmured these things, or she didn't murmur, she, she said these things in her heart. Her lips didn't move, or her lips moved, but no words exited. So much so that the priest thought that she was drunk. The priest thought that she was, she was a drunk woman uh, uh, there at Shiloh. But that wasn't the case. She was simply asking God. For, uh, uh, for this blessing that she could have a son. And now she's gotten that son and she says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. This is something that the Christian church has forgotten about. They've forgotten about the holiness of God. Yes. They've forgotten that what a rock that God is. They, they get saved, they make a profession at a young age, and they go on through their life, and they get cold uh, uh, unto God. They, they don't keep their noses in the scripture. Uh, all kinds of things go on, and they forget the holiness of God. Folks, when we go to God, we need to remember that we are going over the, we are going to the very one that spoke the entire universe into existence. We say all the time, you know, we, I don't like the way this is happening. I don't like what's going on. I don't like this virus that's floating around. I don't like what's going on in Ukraine. I don't, hey, God's got control over all those things, just like he's got, had control since the very beginning. We have no right to question it. We have no right to question what goes on. But we need to remember who we are going to. Hannah knew the God. She knew the God. Uh, it was the same God in chapter 1 as the one that she's praising here in chapter 2. She understood who God was, and she proclaims to God his holiness. She proclaims to God his righteousness, and she proclaims to him what a rock he is. What is, what is a rock? A rock is something that is it's immovable. It's steadfast. It's there. It's in place. It's something that we can rest on. It's something that, you know, if we're out in the middle of the desert, we find a rock. It don't matter what time of day it is. There's going to be a shadow on one side of that rock or the other. We can find rest and refuge underneath. Amen. That's what the, the significance of a rock is. When she said that mine horn is exalted in the previous verse, that's a, that's a picture of strength that she's talking about. The horns of the animals, their strength was depicted in, in, in their horns, the animals that had horns, like the rhino and the ox and things like uh, uh, creatures like that. Their strength, uh, uh, it was measured in their horns. Amen. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is God of knowledge, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 
The bows of mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. I know that was a lot of reading. We'll back back up. Here, really and truly, what Hannah is getting at in all those verses we just read is, is what I just said a little while ago. God's running this show. Whether we like it or not, whether the lost world likes it or not, whether the unbelieving world likes it or not, God is running the show. Yes. God determines these things. A lot of people don't like this verse in here. It says, he killeth and maketh alive. Folks, that's what the Bible says. I believe what the Bible says. Everyone that dies, God knew it was going to happen. God's the very one that directs the arrows. God's the very one that directs the lives. He's the very one that directs everything. If, if, you, if you don't believe that about God, you don't believe in the same God that I do. You don't believe in the God of this Bible if you don't believe those things. But that's basically what Hannah is getting at. In all those verses we just read, she says, the bows of mighty men are broken and they that that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The bows of the mighty men are broken. Folks, that means it don't matter how strong your enemy seems. It don't matter who's coming at you, how smart they are, how seasoned they are, and whatever battle it is, God is stronger God is more seasoned. Not only that, but God knew what they was going to do before it even crossed their mind to do it. Amen. So we need to leave those things in the hands of God. Let God fight those battles for us. God will use us to fight those battles sometimes. It's not because God needs us. It's because God wants to do that for us. God wants to use us. God don't need you anymore than he needs me. He, if there is one self-sufficient being in all the universe it is God you and I are not self-sufficient I don't care what how big your garden is I don't care how good of a hunter you are I don't care what you can cook what you can clean I don't care about any of that you are still not self-sufficient we can have nothing without God Amen. Hannah realized that without her prayer going to God and God being able to not only hear that prayer but to answer that prayer that she would have never had this son Samuel that she had. She, she realized these things about God. That's something that, that the New Testament church needs to remember. We would have nothing without God. We wouldn't have salvation. We would, you know, if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have this air that we breathe right now. If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have food in our cupboards. If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have this roof over our heads where we can gather right now to worship God, to hear the word of God expounded on and explained and taught and preached, to hear the songs of Zion sung. Uh, we would have none of these things without God. It is God that makes these things possible. It is God that allows these things to, to happen and to take place. 
And he does that to, to, to exhort his people. To exhort his people, uh, and not only that, his people, but also that that other people might be saved. He does all these things, and, and so much more. That's a very small list of the things that God does and God allows. He says, "They that were full have hired themselves, hired up themselves for bread, meaning those that those that thought that they were self-sufficient, those that had plenty." Those that, uh, that really didn't work, they had all that they needed. Now they're down to hiring themselves out for bread. Now these are, these are pictures that Hannah's, uh, Hannah's uh, proclaiming once again unto God. Remember, this is all prayer. This is things that she is saying to God. But it's not, uh, it's not ridicule towards her enemies uh, that, that she's saying. It is praise unto God. We've got to remember that when she's saying these things. What Hannah is doing here is prophesying. She is prophesying uh, things of the future. And we'll get to that in the last verse, in verse 10 of this passage. She's prophesying things that will, uh, will come to be in the future, the immediate future and the far future. Hannah is saying these things in, 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 a, in a prophetic way. She says, uh, she goes on to say, uh, they that were, uh, or so, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Now, she may or may not have been referring to herself when she says, so that the baron hath born seven. At this point, she only had one son. It was Samuel. However, you flip over a few chapters, I believe it's 1 Samuel chapter 14, you'll read that she had five other children. She had daughters and sons. But she, uh, I realize that only makes six. I understand that. So, therefore, me personally, I don't think she was referring to herself. I think she was saying this in, in other words, she that uh, she that was uh, she so that the barren hath borne seven. What is seven? Seven is God's perfect number. It's a, it's the number of completeness. Seven is the number of completeness. We refer to it all the time as, as the perfect number, as far as Scripture goes, and it is. But it's the number of completeness. It's the number of perfection in Scripture. So she that hath, was barren hath borne seven. She's born completely. God, God has blessed her completely. And then it goes on to say, though, she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Then it says, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He breaketh down the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Lifteth up. Like I said, that just tells us God is in control of it all. Whether we like it or not. And folks, these things in this Bible... I don't like to read, but I come across them once in a while, and it reminds me. And it reminds me, and it gets all over my toes. And if it don't yours, reread it. And read it again until it does. These things in this Bible, even a saved, born-again child of God, it will straighten us out, and that's what it's here for. This book, it, it can, and I've seen people do it. They'll, you know, they'll lose a loved one or they'll be, be in a bad situation. And I've seen Christians hand Bibles to lost people and say, I hope this brings you some comfort. Folks, this book cannot comfort you until it convicts you. And it, and it still can't comfort you until you're saved. There is no comfort in these pages until we're saved. Other than that, it is nothing more than condemnation to a lost person. That's all, that's all they can glean from this is condemnation. Until salvation comes. When salvation comes, then the comfort can come from these pages. Amen. 
Then the comfort can come from the inspired word of God. But until then, nothing but condemnation. Uh, the Lord maketh poor, maketh rich, he bringeth low, and lifteth up. God does all these things. He, raith, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill. Now, folks, ain't none of us in here wants to be a beggar. Ain't none of us, none of us wants to be in that shape. But every one of us could be in the soup line come tomorrow morning. Every one of us could be there by the end of this coming week. It is, and really and truly, it's up to God if that happens or not. I understand we got free will. I believe that. I believe we got free will to make choices. But God ultimately directs everything in your life and in my life. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it boils down to God and God alone. He raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill. Folks, this is not only a bad state for someone to be in, being a beggar, it's a dishonorable state. God to lift them up from the dunghill. There was nothing honorable about them, uh, about a person in that low of an estate. Now, I'm just reading scripture to you and trying to explain it. But it goes on to say, to set them among princes. God lifts them up to set them among princes. Why does he set them among princes? Why did God save your soul? And if you tell me it's because he loved you, I'll tell you you're wrong. Why did God save you? To glorify himself. That's right. Amen. Praise God and hallelujah. God saves people to, glory, to bring glory unto himself. Not to bring glory to man. Not to bring glory uh, to anyone other than himself. He, save, he saves people to bring glory unto himself and that Jesus Christ would not die in vain. That's why God saves souls. He saves souls for that and for that alone. And we say it all the time. We hear it all the time. God saved me because he loved me. No, God saved you because God deserves glory. And God saved you because his only begotten son, the crown jewel of heaven, gave his life that you could be saved. Mm -hmm. That's why God saved you. That's why God saved me. So if God saves me and I'm not bringing glory to him, I would have to question myself, did I really get saved? If that's the whole purpose of salvation and people aren't living lives that bring glory to God, in fact, they live lives that drag God's name through the mud, drag the church's name through the mud, drag Jesus' name through the mud, did they really receive anything? That's, that's just a question to ponder on. Uh, and, uh, but he, he raiseth up the poor and he lifts up the beggar to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. God owns it all. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he, and he sets everything upon these pillars. Now if you read, uh, if you do any, any study at all with Hebrew and Greek, uh, which the original texts were written in, the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek, and there's a little bit of Aramaic thrown in there as well. If you do any studying on that at all, this word for pillars is also a word for rock in the Scripture. Uh, in fact, it's used that way uh, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. So when we say the pillars of this world, we're not talking about a world and God's got four legs on the bottom side of it. We all know that the world rotates. So if there was 
things holding it up like that, it wouldn't be able to rotate. It'd be stationary. But God owns the rocks that are underneath the soul. He owns the rocks that are over top of the soul that we refer to as mountains. He, he, he owns all this. It says, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. God has made this world. God spoke this world into existence. And God knew exactly what he was doing when he done it. And it all belongs to him. Again, I'll reiterate. If we don't like it, we can go and make our own world. And we can run it the way we want to. But until that day happens, this is God's. This whole world is God's. And we must live in it with God running it. We have no choice in the matter. We have no choice at all. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. He will keep the feet of his saints. And what about the rest of me? If he's only keeping my feet. Where is Hannah getting at? Or what is Hannah getting at, I should say, when she says this? He will keep the feet of his saints. Well, you could look at it as God will guide our footsteps, and yes, he will. But what about the rest of us? Seriously. He will keep the feet of the saints. Folks, if he's keeping my feet, and the word keep means that I'm going to be safe. No matter where I go, no matter what's going on. Now listen, I could walk out these doors today and get run over by a log truck out in the middle of the road. And, and some unbeliever would look and say, see, God didn't keep him safe. God's running the show. God... God uh, allows things to happen. My goodness, could you imagine from the time of Adam up to now if nobody ever died? Can you imagine what kind of population we would have right now? God knows exactly what he's doing. And just because something bad may happen to me or someone in my family, we may die, we may get deathly sick, doesn't mean that God hasn't kept my feet. If he's keeping my feet, he's keeping me from the top of my head to the very underside of my feet. He keeps the feet of his saints. He not only guides our steps and guides our direction. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Psalms 119. You want God to keep your feet? Keep your nose in this book. Amen. You want him to guide your steps? Keep right. your nose in this book. Yes. God, and God will do that. God, God will do that. Hey, he, he's more than capable. He's done showed us that. If you're sitting here saved, he showed you he's incapable or he is capable of miracles. He's incapable here. He is capable of the impossible in saving your soul. I didn't deserve it and you didn't either. None of us did. There is nothing we done to merit the favor of God. There's nothing that we've done that God could look down on me and say, That Spencer's a pretty good old boy. I think I'm gonna save his soul. I can assure you that wasn't the case. God done that in grace. God done that, as I said earlier, that Jesus Christ would not die in vain. He would not die in vain. He will, and for me to bring glory to him. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Silent in darkness. This tells me two different things here. He will keep the feet of his saints. He'll keep us safe. He'll keep those that belong to him safe. But the wicked will be silent in darkness tells me they're going to be blind and they're going to be dumb. People that don't speak, we refer to them as dumb. The Bible refers to them as dumb. If they're in darkness, they're blind. Now, I may, I may not be talking about physically. 
They may, may not be physically dumb. They may not be physically blind. But those that are wicked, those that continue in wickedness, those that continue in sin and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, those that do it, they are blind and they are dumb. I don't care how loud they get. I don't care how vocal they get. God could care less about it as well. God don't care what kind of insults the world throws at him. God will have his vengeance one day. Mm -hmm. Folks, uh, since, since, I mean, I know in my lifetime, I've seen it in the news, I've read articles, all kinds of things, people insulting God, people insulting the church, people insulting the Bible. My, my, my very own testimony wasn't so much an insultation of the Bible, but in my testimony, I was trying to use the Bible to disprove God. I was an atheist till I was 33 years old. And in reading the scripture, not to mention uh, the times I went to church as a youngin, but in reading the scripture, it eventually brought me to God. It brought me to the realization, my goodness, there is a God. Now, there was a whole lot more to that testimony. It's just it in a very small nutshell. But I tried to use the Bible to disprove God, and God just proved himself to me with his own words. Amen. With his own words, he does that. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the wicked shall be silent in darkness. They, in other words, they won't be able to do anything. If you're in darkness, you're afraid to move. You don't know what's there. Solomon wrote that, that the wicked that, they, 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 uh, that are in the darkness, they, they know not of what they stumble. I preached a sermon about that one, those verses one time in Proverbs. They know not of what they stumble. They can stumble right over the cross of Calvary. They can stumble right over the gospel, but they're in darkness and they don't know what they're stumbling over. They can stumble over the blood of Jesus Christ, but they know not of what they stumble. How do we know? In God's grace and God's mercy, he opens their eyes to show them what they are and to show them who he is and show them what he can do about their current state. That's grace. That's mercy. But until then, they're silent. No matter how loud they get, they're silent. And they're in darkness. For by strength no man, for by strength shall no man prevail. In other words, don't matter how strong we are. Listen, I, I, I've already said, don't matter how loud we get, or how loud they get, I should say, but here it says, by strength shall no man prevail. Don't matter how strong they are either. Don't matter how strong the enemy's attacks are against you. Don't matter how often those demons whisper in your ears. And if you're a born-again child of God, it's a daily thing to hear a demon whispering, to hear a demon uh, trying to plant little seeds of doubt in your mind, hoping that they'll seep from here down into here. It's a daily fight. It's a daily fight that, that we Christians have, uh, have, to, have to battle. But thank God we've got the Lord on our side. We've got the Lord on our side, and he knows what's coming our way before we do. He knows exactly what's coming. That doesn't mean we just throw our hands up in the air and say, God's got this. You be careful before you do that. You need to put some shoes on your prayers sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes we'll pray for stuff. And, you know, God will make a way, but we Christians are too lazy to go on through with it. So, well, God's supposed to take care of all of this. God's taking care of what he's going to take care of. Sometimes God expects us. He doesn't need us to. He expects us 
to do some things with us. He doesn't, God didn't save a lazy church. He didn't save a lazy church. We are to work, we are to work for the kingdom, not for salvation, not to get to the kingdom. We are to work for the kingdom, though. We're to work for the glory of the kingdom, for the glory of God, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We're to do these things not to be saved, but because we are saved. Amen. We do these things because we are saved. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Folks, that should bring us comfort. I ain't saying it should bring you comfort that people are going to die and go to hell. I ain't saying that at all. You ought to mourn for those people. We should mourn for those souls. We should beg God to give them another chance. We should beg God to chase them down all the days of their life and give them chance after chance after chance. Folks, I got more than one chance. I don't know if you all did or not, but I know I did. God dealt with me on more than one occasion. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. That should bring us comfort knowing it ain't always going to be this way. We won't always have demons whispering in our ears. We won't always have these the decrepit bodies that we walk around in, these diseased bodies, really these cursed bodies. God cursed, cursed mankind way over in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And that, is, that has been passed on from Adam unto all men and all women, all children. Our bodies are cursed. But thank God, thank God I ain't, it ain't always going to be that way. And we will not always have to deal with our adversary, the devil. We will not always have to deal with his little nymphs that run around, whispering, whispering in our ears, trying to get us to doubt, trying to get us to uh, go this way or that, you know, turn to the left or turn to the right instead of staying on that straight and narrow way that God has set before us. And that happens. It happens to all of us. Folks, if you ain't got demons trying to steer you another way, there's something seriously wrong. There's something seriously wrong. Are you really saved if you ain't got that going on? If, if they ain't bothering you, it's because they don't need to. They've already got you. That's their, their very job is, is to wreak havoc in, in the lives of those that believe in Jehovah God and to try and steer them to the left or the right. Out of heaven shall be thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointing. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. Folks, not only are the adversaries of the Lord, will the adversaries of the Lord be broken to pieces, that's the what. It tells us the how and the why. The why is because they're adversaries. They're against God. They're the enemies of God. Who is the enemy of God? James explains it the best and the simplest. He says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. James chapter 4. Anybody that's a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I ain't saying if you've got lost people in your family or if you've got lost acquaintances. I ain't saying you should have no dealings with them whatsoever. How would they ever hear the gospel if that was the case? I'm not saying that at all. But you don't go to the hell homes that they go to. Right. You don't partake in the sins that they do. Mm-hmm. People say all the time, well, Jesus dined with the sinners. He did. Jesus, Jesus went and he dined. He, he, he communed with them. All these things. But he never partook in their sins. Right. He never once did that. I praise God that Jesus came here to save sinners. If that wasn't the case, we'd be sitting here for no purpose whatsoever this morning. 
didn't come to save sinners. We would be here for, uh, with no, no reason to be here. He shall thunder upon them. Man, he's going to bring his wrath down on his adversary. Once again, Hannah <coughs> is speaking this prayer. She's not only talking of the immediate future, she, she's, uh, but she's talking about the far-reaching future, on to the time of, of uh, uh, Jesus Christ returning to this earth to make all things straight, to get all things right. Now, she, the immediate future, she was, speaking of, she was speaking of Samuel and David in particular. Samuel's the very prophet that anointed David to be king in the scriptures. So she was speaking really of David here, but she was speaking also on further in the future. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, not only here in Kingsport, Tennessee, not only where I live in Bluff City, not only wherever it is that you live, not only in the state of Tennessee or the country of the United States. God will judge the ends of the earth. He will judge everyone. He will judge everything. And he will do it righteously, and he will do it in all holy power that he has. And there ain't anything in the world we can do about that. God will judge. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is what lets us know that Hannah is not only speaking of David, uh, King David, in the more immediate future, but Hannah had faith that God was going to save his people, that God was going to make all things right, make all things new. And, and these other things that we find in Scripture, he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This word for anointed here is Mashiach in the Hebrew. It's the first time in Scripture we see the word Messiah. The very first time Messiah is brought up is here in Hannah's prayer. And she's speaking of Messiah. She, she's speaking of, of a future Messiah, a future Savior, when she says that. We know, we know the, the Hebrew term. We know that it's uh, tran translated into Greek in the New Testament, Christos, which when it comes to our English, becomes Christ. She was talking about Jesus Christ in this. She was talking about uh, a, a Savior and a Messiah far into the future that goes way beyond King David. We know Jesus Christ is the son of David, do we not? If you don't, the demons even knew him as that. Demons even knew him as the son of David. He was the promised Messiah to come. Uh, just real quick, other people's come out, so I know my time must be coming up. I'll stay up here all morning if y'all let me. <laughs> Missy will testify to that. But, but, I want you all to remember something. And, and all this praise that we just read from, from Hannah, Unto God. I want you to remember one thing about it. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, the very first, you know, the very last few verses of this, Hannah took her gift from God, her son, her only son at that time, her only child, and she took him to Shiloh and she handed him over to Eli the priest. She was going to leave him there. The biggest sacrifice that woman ever made. Probably, undoubtedly, I'll say undoubtedly, the hardest day of her life. She was.
do God the praise that she did in these ten verses. Not only that, not only that, a second thing for you to consider. Not once in these ten verses that we just read of Hannah's praise unto God and her exaltation of God's name and God's future kingdom. Not once did she focus on the gift. She focused on the giver. She didn't focus on Samuel. Samuel being her only child, her bringing Samuel to, to give him over just as she had promised. I ain't saying Samuel wasn't on her mind. I think he would have been on any mother's mind. Or any mother would have had their child on their mind. But Hannah was focused on God. She was focused on what God had done for her. And she was focused on not only what he had done, but what he was going to continue to do on into the future. And I said this, the very, the very last word there, anointed, in that passage of Scripture, is the Hebrew word for Messiah. And that tells us how far into the future Hannah was talking about when she, she made this exaltation of the Lord's name, when she made this prayer unto God. It wasn't a petition. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. 